Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. And if you want a title, I would call it the, the fruit inspector. The fruit inspector. So we're called to be fruit inspectors. Verse 15 reads, beware of false prophets. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? No. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth, Lord. I thank you for what you've done in my life through it, showing me your glory, God. I pray that you recreate that event here, God. Will you open the eyes of my brothers and sisters as well, Lord God. Let them see your love through this text, how you're guarding your church, putting hedges around your body through your teaching. God, do a mighty work through your word. Thank you for giving us this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you remember last week, we were looking at the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus says it. That says uh, to treat your neighbor or to treat people how you want to be treated. That is the law and the prophets. Remember, he said that summarizes the whole Old Testament when it comes to our personal relationships with people. He says that it's the law and the prophet. And if you remember last week, we were discussing how the law, the Mosaic law, is contrary to our human nature. And so that means that all of these, the teaching that Jesus has given us here, which has the law as his basis, it goes contrary to our human nature. So that means that nobody can come pick up the Sermon on the Mount and read it and just say, oh, I got it. That's no problem. That's easy. We can't do it. Why? Because Jesus' commandments, they go against our human nature. That's why no one can just pick this up and say, I got it. Yes, they can say it with their mouth. Yes, they can read Jesus' teaching throughout the Sermon on the Mount and say, yes, I know how to do it, but their actions will contradict their mouth. Why? Because you need the Holy Spirit of God to live and keep the commandments of God. See, so much of our challenge in trying to live out this Sermon on the Mount, guess what? Our challenge is largely internal. There's an internal battle happening right now in our, in our body. You have the flesh and the spirit, and they're battling against one another. This is why Paul tells us in Galatians 5, verse 16 through 17, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. See, some of you came in here today battling. Yes, you came in smiling. Yes, you came in with the customary Christian phrases. And yes, God is good all the time. We come in just like that. But you know this week has been tough. And everybody on the outside, they look at you, you look all happy-go-lucky, but there's something happening in the inside. There's a, a battle where the Spirit of God is pushing you towards righteousness, but your flesh is pushing back. Even on the outside, everything looks good. But in our text today, Jesus he introduces us to a, another type of threat. Not an internal one, but an external threat. 
And that threat in this text is the false prophet. That's the external threat that Jesus is introducing us to. And when we say false prophet, I'm talking about people who are claiming that God has sent them, that they have this divine message from God, some type of truth, some type of a message that maybe speaks towards the future. These are called the, the false prophets, and they're false prophets because God didn't send them. And so Jesus introduces us to this type of threat. Now, in the Old Testament, we know you had prophets like Isaiah, right? Isaiah was a prophet. You had prophets like uh, Ezekiel. Uh, you had prophets like Jeremiah. And what would they do? They would warn Israel of the impending judgment that would come their way if they didn't repent. They would tell kings. Kings would consult with these prophets. And so these are different prophets that God had actually sent. They were coming with a message from God. So they were real prophets. And in the New Testament, you had prophets like John the Baptist. Now, I know we can kind of debate that. Some can say John the Baptist was technically in the Old Testament, but that debate is not for today. But he was a prophet of God. God had given him a message. He had given him a word. He was a real, true prophet. And not only did you have John the Baptist in the New Testament, but also in Acts 11, we see that there was multiple prophets. In, in, in Acts 11, there were, the, the scripture tells us that there were multiple prophets that came from Jerusalem to the church at Antioch. And one of those prophets whose name was Agabus. That was the New Testament prophet. We also have another prophet uh, in Acts 21. It tells us about Philip and Philip had four daughters who were prophetess. So we see that there were prophets. There were true prophets in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Many of the New Testament prophets are not named in Scripture, but there were true and real prophets. But there were also false prophets out there. And we see that the Apostle Paul on this missionary journey, he encountered a false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus or Elias, Elimus in Acts 13. Paul there, he encounters a false prophet, a person, he says he was a Jewish false prophet, somebody not sent by God, his word was not from God. We also see the apostle Peter, the apostle Peter, he encountered a false prophet like in the person of Simon Magnus. So Paul in this letter, in many of his letters to the church, he, he often addresses the false prophets. Not only does Paul address false prophets coming into church, but Paul also addresses false apostles. So it wasn't just false prophets, but it was also false apostles that Paul addressed. Peter did the same thing as well. And in Second Peter, the entire the entire book of Second Peter was largely addressed or written to address false prophets. And Peter in Second Peter chapter one. He makes no distinction between a false prophet and a false teacher. He uses them interchangeably. And here, as we go into study on false prophets, I will do the same. So when I, I'm not just going to speak on the false prophets, but I'm going to speak on the false apostles and false teacher. And I, I like to call them the, the toxic trio. The toxic trio. False prophets, false apostles, and false teachers. And I believe this teaching is very, very important for today. Why? Because the rise of YouTube. With a camera, with a phone, anybody in the world can get their toxic teaching and they can spew it all on the Internet, all over YouTube, and people will watch it. And we, as followers of Jesus, have to know how to distinguish the real from the fake. That's why this teaching is very important. Because ideas, ideas, guess what? Ideas have consequences. Bad teaching has consequences. We even see it in the secular realm. 
Look at the bad teaching that came out of Nazi Germany. And look what happened from that bad teaching. The slaughter of six million Jews. Why bad teaching? That's just, just from a secular standpoint. From a non-secular standpoint, you can look at Ellen G. White in the Seventh-day Adventists. You can look at Joseph Smith and the Mormons. You can look at Charles Taze Russell and the Jehovah's Witness. See, ideas have consequences. Bad teaching has consequences. It can affect people. It can affect large, large groups of people. Now, to be clear, I don't want to say that anybody that errs in their teaching is a false prophet or a false apostle or a false teacher just because you err. The problem is, is when you err and you don't repent and you stay in your error, that is where you, that is where a person becomes a false teacher. That is where a person then becomes an ambassador of the kingdom of darkness. And I say the kingdom of darkness because there are only two kingdoms. It's either you are in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of light. There's only two roads. There's a narrow road or there's a broad road. There's only two gates. It's the wide gate or the narrow gate. There is no neutral. There is no neutral. You are either in one or you are in the others, just like the American political system. There's a two-party system. There's Democrat and Republican. There's no real legitimate third-party candidate. And guess what? There's no legitimate third-party kingdom. There is no third option, no third way. There's kingdom of light or there's kingdom of darkness. You're either in one or the other, or the other. And this is not just me speaking, but this is Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 to 15, he calls the false apostles servants of Satan. So Paul is saying there's no distinction. It's either kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. There is no neutral when it comes to faith. There is no I'm spiritual but not religious. There is no option like that. It's either you are with Jesus, following Jesus down the narrow road that leads to life in this life, in the life to come, or you are following Satan down the broad road. It's only two options. So if a person says, I'm just going to do me, I'm just going to treat people well, treat people nice based on my own standard, I'm going to say, welcome to the broad road. The moment you make yourself the sovereign, the moment you make your rules, your determination, what is right or wrong, you are now walking down the broad road. God is the sovereign. He determines the rules. He determines what is right or wrong. We are humans made from the dust. He is eternal. So the Lord in this text here tells us to be aware of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing but are ravenous wolves so you see what Christ is doing in this text in verse 15 he's telling us to be on guard for the stealth attack that's why he said there, there are sheep or there are wolves in sheep clothing he's, he's telling us to be on guard for spiritual warfare that Satan does not play fair that there are no rules of engagement and if he has to disguise himself as an angel of light he will if he has to lie he will there is no rules Christ is telling us to be aware of the false prophets that come looking like sheep. This reminds me of the movie Troy. Have anybody seen the movie Troy with Brad Pitt? If you remember in the movie Troy, it's based off of the Trojan War. You have the Trojans and the Greeks and they're fighting. 
And the Greeks, they're, they're outside of the, the city of Troy. Troy has these huge walls and, and they're constantly in this battle. And so the, the Greeks, they come up with this plan to, to create this giant horse, the Trojan horse, right? And all of the men hop inside of this horse. And then all of the Greeks, they, they get their boats and they make it seem like they're leaving. And so the, the Trojans begin to rejoice and say, yeah, we won the victory. And so they go out to where the, the Greeks were and they drag in the big, large horse the trophy to celebrate it. Hey, we have defeated the Greeks. And once the Trojan horse enters into the city, night comes, all of the Greeks begin to climb out of this Trojan horse and they begin to destroy the city. See, the Trojan horse on the outside looked good. But there was something in the inside that was dangerous. There was something going on in the inside that carried some men who were willing to destroy the city. See, it's kind of like this. I'm sure that some of you, when you were out in the world, you, you, you met a girl or a guy that you were dating and you believed that that girl or guy, that they were the one, that they were the one you're going to take home to mama or papa. They were the one that you are going to be with forever until they begin to produce the fruit. And you bit into that fruit and you found that fruit to be rotten. See, it's not the outright sinful things, my brothers and sisters, that get us. As believers, we can sometimes see the adulterer or the adulteress from a mile away. But it's those constant things that seem good, that seem like they're fine. Those are the things that actually gets us. So Jesus is telling us that the false prophet is not going to come to you just visibly where you can see him. But he's going to come looking like a sheep. And why a sheep? Because sheep, what? They're harmless. Sheep don't look bad. With a sheep, they're not predators. I can have my, my guards down around sheep. Some of you know that like I myself, I don't like the outdoors, right? I don't like the outdoors. I don't do the hiking thing. I don't do the backpacking thing. I don't get it. I know people do it. I don't personally get it. I don't do that thing because I don't like wild animals. I'm scared of being mauled by a, a wolf or a bear or whatever it may be. But guess what? While those sheep at the state fair may look dangerous, I'm not really concerned about being mauled by sheep. Why? Because a sheep is gentle, is nice. I can have my guard down around sheep. Sheep are, are helpless. They're, they're, they're just little things that eat grass. And not only that, are they just helpless, but throughout the scriptures, the members of the body of Christ are described as sheep. In John 10, Jesus calls himself the shepherd of the sheep. And later in John 10, he later says that my sheep hear my voice. In Acts 20, 28, Paul tells the elders to guard the flock. See, believers, we are called to be sheep. And like sheep, we are to be Harmless. We are supposed to be the people that other people can come to. As sheep, we're supposed to be the ones that people can feel comfortable around, that they can come and express their pain and their frustration, that they can just pour out to without fear of judgment. Again, without fear of judgment, we are to be that sheep. Because the Christian, out of all people, we understand the power of sin. We understand the grittiness and fallenness of this world. See, as believers, we are in this juxtaposition between being this harmless sheep, this warm, welcoming sheep, while at the same time also being this light that dispels darkness. 
So we have this fine line that we have to walk, but the Spirit helps us to live out both personalities of being sheep and also being light. Now back to the false prophets. Jesus said that the false prophets are going to come to us in sheep's clothing. To put a modern spin on it, he's saying that the false prophet, when he comes to your Bible study, when your small group, your, your, your missional community, they're going to come blasting sovereign grace music in the radios of their car. They're going to come playing the Keith Green. They're going to come playing or listening to the Hill song. They're going to walk in saying all of the Christian phrases. They're going to walk in with a Bible just like you. They're going to have a Christian t-shirt just like you. They're going to have a bumper sticker just like you. But Jesus warns the disciples that they're not going to say the same thing. They're going to walk into your midst looking like you. They're not going to walk in with a sign saying, me, false prophet. See, Jesus is not warning the believers of the Muhammads of the world. When I say the Muhammads of the world, I'm talking about the Muhammad of Islam. He's not warning them of the the Buddhas of the world. Why? Because the believers can see that from a mile away. We can see the Buddhas. We can see the Muhammads. The the Muhammads are not coming in the name of Christ. The, The Buddha is not coming in the name of Christ. We can see those. But he's talking about the wolves, the ones that actually come in looking like sheep. He's talking about the Jim Joneses of the world. He was ordained by an independent Assemblies of God church. He came in preaching or he started with the Bible. See, these are the sheep. These are the ones that Jesus is warning about. It's the, it's the ones that look just like you, that look like they're fine, but there's something going on in the inside that they are ravenous wolves. From Scripture, we can see in Revelations 2.15, another group of false prophets, the Nicolaitans. If you recall, in Revelations 2.15, it talks about the Nicolaitans. If you want to go there, we can go there together. See you kind of turning there. He says this. So, this is Revelations 2.15. He says, so you also have some who in the same way hold the the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans... Their leader was Nicholas. Did anybody know who Nicholas is? Where Nicholas started. If you go to Acts 6, 5, Nicholas was one of the seven. He was one of the first deacons. He was one of the ones that all of the apostles, when they came around, they laid hands on them with Stephen and allowed them to serve the poor, allowed them to serve the widows. That's the same Nicholas. Church history has confirmed that. When I say church history, I'm talking about the church historians Eusebius, who lived in the 3rd and 4th century, and uh, Clement of Alexandria, who lived in the 2nd century. That is the same Nicholas. See, Nicholas started as a person of light. He looked good. I, I can imagine that Nicholas was, was walking to other believers, other brothers and sisters, and they're saying, hey, here comes Brother Nicholas, and they're seeing him, and he's walking all in. But as soon as Nicholas enters into the congregation, he opens up his mouth, and he begins to give a teaching that is not from God, a teaching that does not line up with the Scriptures, a teaching that does not line up with what the apostles were given. But he looked good. See, he started that way. He started that way. He looked good, but he came in with a different message. He came in with a different Jesus. 
And that's what makes a false prophet a false prophet. They are saying that they have new revelation and new teaching that does not line up with the scriptures. See, the things that makes the false prophet a wolf and ravenous is not the person per se, but it's the teaching. It's the teaching that is so dangerous. It's the teaching that is so perniferous that it's, it's like a, a wolf. That's the thing that makes the false prophet dangerous. It's their teaching. Look in our main text, the, the violent language that Jesus uses to describe the false prophet. He says, he says that, they are inwardly ravenous wolves. He's using this, this violent language, ravenous wolves, meaning that they are coming to rip the sheep up to shreds and pieces. They want to rip them up. And how do they rip them up? They rip them up through their teaching, through their bad doctrine, through this word that they supposedly receive from God. That's why it matters. The teaching doctrine does matter. That is the thing that they go and they rip up the body of Christ. They're going to go and change the narrow road into a broad road. They're going to change the size of the gate. They want to change the entrance into the gate. See, that is the thing that makes the false prophet teaching. It's their word. It's what they're saying. We see that in the Galatian heresy. The Galatian heresy in the book of Galatians where another gospel was preached. That's the Galatian Harry. They were changing the role. They were saying that it was no longer Jesus, but now you needed the law. See, that is the Galatian heresy. Another false teacher, false apostle came in and gave a teaching to rip the street, the sheep to shreds. You can also look at the Colossian heresy in the book of Colossians where the heretics came in and tried to swap out Christ for a new self-made man religion. And all of these. And that new self-man made religion has been repackaged into the new phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious in our society now. That's the same thing that was happening in Colossians. They were trying to give them this man-made self-abasement rules, these, these ways that you can do to get more knowledge. That was man-made religion, and now it has been repackaged in our day to, I'm spiritual but not religious, meaning I'm the sovereign, I'm going to do what feels good, what I feel is right, Essentially, you're making your own road. And when you make your own road, you're no longer traveling on the narrow road, but you're traveling on the broad road. And Jesus compares you to a ravenous wolves. Again, brothers and sisters, I want you to see that even things that seemingly sound good, if they're not on the narrow road, if they're not in line with the teachings of Christ. Guess what? Those teachings will have teeth in it and they will bite. But why do we fall for it? Generation after generation, false prophets, false teachers arrive with a new message and new teaching and we go for it. Why? I believe the Apostle Paul gives us hints to why this happens. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I believe here he gives us some, some hints to why this occurs. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 3. Here the apostle, he's defending his apostleship to the church at Corinth. And he says this in verse 3. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. 
simplicity and pure devotion to Christ. Some of your texts may say sincerity and pure devotion to Christ, where Christ is the focus. He said he, he's afraid that some will come and lead you away from that. See, people that have walked with Christ, oftentimes in our life, Christ becomes not enough for us. And we begin to look for other avenues, other things. And so, so Paul is saying the same thing. He said that I'm afraid that people will come in and actually tell you something else to tell you what you want to hear. That is what the false prophet often does. They want to take us off from a sincerity, a pure focus on Jesus, a pure focus on cross to something else. And so Paul is saying that, that, that is what I'm, I'm concerned about, that others will come in and give you that thing that you want. And that is what often happens when it comes to the false prophets and the false teachings. They try to give people something other than Jesus. Oh, I, I, my mom was a Christian. My, my dad was a Christian. I, I'm tired of this Christian thing. Um, it, it can't be all about Jesus. There has to be other truth out there. Give me something else. And what we find in many of the cults and many of the teachings of our day, that is exactly what they, that is exactly what happens. I, I don't want this, Jesus. Give me the new age stuff with crystals and chants. I, I, I don't want this. I don't want it to all be about Jesus. I, I don't want it to all be about this holiness thing and this repentance. Give me some spiritual Eastern stuff that tells me that all I need to do is meditate and that all the power is within me because it's about me. See, the people, they don't want just Jesus. They, they want something else. And what happens, it's the false prophets, they give it to them. We find that happening with the Galatians. They turned him from a single focus on Jesus. In the Galatian heresy, they, they turned him from a single focus, a sincerity of heart, focus on Jesus to the law. With the Colossians, from a sincerity, a pure of heart, focus on Jesus to a man-made religion. Other false prophets turned it from a focus, in, focus on Christ to a focus on the false prophets, uh, apostles themselves. Others will turn it from a sincere focus and a pure devotion of Jesus to materialism and wealth, i.e. the prosperity gospel. See, the reason the prosperity gospel took off because it catered to the fleshly desires that we already had inside of us. Hold on, you're telling me that if I if I come to Jesus, he's going to make me rich and he's going to give me a business and I'm going to prosper? Hold on, you're telling me that if I want to drive an expensive car and live in an expensive house, that, that Jesus wants it, that he wants me to wear expensive clothes? See, it was something that is already inside and the, prof, prof, and the false prophet is now saying, come on, you can have it here. See, that is the thing that the false prophet does. He gets the mind focused off of focusing on Christ to other things. And Peter's, Peter, in Second Peter, he warns us of this type of false apostle, false prophet. I want to show you, go to Second Peter, chapter 2. In Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 18, Peter warns us about this type of false prophet. He says this in verse 18 and describing them. He says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires. 
by sensuality those who barely escape from the ones who live in air. So what she says, they speak out arrogant words and they entice by fleshly desires, meaning they tell you things you want to hear. The prosperity gospel sounds good because I want to be rich already. And now you're telling me that Jesus is going to allow me to do it. Things that in my flesh I already want. See, that is what the false prophet does. is to remove you from a focus on Jesus, a focus on the cross, a focus on true doctrine to a doctrine of yourself. And this is one of the common traits about the false prophets, at least throughout Scripture, There's this internal desire that they have for greed, a desire for wealth. That is often the way that the Apostle Paul, when he's addressing the false apostles and the false teachers, one of the common bad fruit traits of the false apostle and false teachers is a desire for greed, a a desire for money, a desire for wealth. And so Paul, when he's addressing the church, he often brings that out. He brings out the bad fruit of the apostles and the good fruit of him being the true apostle. An example of that is back in 2 Corinthians 11. Turn with me there. In 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is defending his apostleship, he's going to point out the greed of the false apostles, the bad fruit, in comparison to his good fruit. And you'll see what I mean. Look what he says here in 2 Corinthians eleven seven. He says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? See, one of the, the bad fruits of the false apostles, the false teachers, the false prophet is that they would exalt themselves. And Paul is saying that's, that's bad fruit. I didn't do that. This is the good fruit. I didn't come exalting myself. I came, what he said, I came lifting you up, encouraging you. See, that's part of the the bad fruit of the false apostles and false teachers. They want to put all of the attention to themselves. They want to give them all the glory. And if you look over in the same chapter, verse 20, he gives us a whole list of bad fruit that comes from the false apostles and the false teachers and the false prophets. And 20, just to show you this, he says, for you tolerated if anyone enslaves you. That's one of the bad fruits of the false apostles and false teachers. They were enslaved in the body of Christ. He says, if anyone devours you, they were devouring them. They were taken from the believers, not loving the flock. He said, if anyone takes advantage of you and exalts himself, again, that's what the false apostles and the false prophets were doing. They were exalting themselves. He says, if anyone hits you in the face, so now you have the false teachers even getting violent. So he's showing you all of the bad fruits of what a false apostle, a false teacher, and a false prophet, what it looks like. And then in 21, it seems like Paul said this with a little chuckle. He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. He's saying, because I wasn't over here slapping you. I wasn't over here taking advantage of you. And they were just going strong hard on you. So in in comparison, I'm just weak, huh? Because I came over here with love. I came over here in in a humble spirit. And and I'm not exalting myself. I'm actually trying to exalt and lift you up. And so I'm weak in compared to them. So he's making this comparison of a good fruit of what a good apostle should give and, and a bad fruit of what a false apostle will do. So back in 7, the same chapter, just wanted to give you that little nugget. 
So he says, I did not come or I did not commit a sin in humbling myself so that you may be exalted. Then he says, because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches. I took from other churches and served you. So he's making it clear here that I did not come about your money. I didn't come to take anything from you. The false apostles, they were. Remember, he says that they are devouring you. They're taking advantage of you. But I am not coming like that. This is the good fruit. I'm coming because I want to serve you. I love you. But the false prophets or the false apostles, they're coming for themselves. So he's making a distinction here between him, the good fruit, and the bad fruit of the false apostles and the false teachers. He does the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. Let me show you that. Go with me there. 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5-6. Paul echoes the same thing. He's establishing his apostleship. He's showing the good fruit that a true apostle, a true person that is sent by God, what they will produce in comparison to those who have the bad fruit, who are not sent by God. And look what he says in verse number five. First Thessalonians chapter two. He says, for we never came with flattering speech. So again, he's saying, we didn't come just telling you what you want to hear. We didn't come just telling you the good stuff that you want to hear, which the false apostles and the false prophets do. They tell you the stuff that you want to hear to make you say amen and, and clap and shout. He said, no, we, we didn't come to you with this flattering speech. He says, as you know, nor would, again, a pretext for greed. We didn't come to take your money. Again, he's establishing the good fruits of a true apostle, a true person that is sent by God. He said, we're not coming for your money. That is what the false apostles, that is what the false teachers are doing. They, they are about the greed. He said, we didn't come that way. But he says, and God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from men. I'm not coming so you can lift us up either from you or from others, even though as apostles, we might have asserted our authority. So he said that, that, that is not how we came. And then in seven, look what he says. He says, but we proved to be what? Gentle among you as a nursing mother tender, who, who tenderly cares for her own children. Compare that to First Thessalonians where he says you allow them to slap you in the face. You allow them to take advantage of you. But he said, no, we came as a, a mother. We came in gentleness. We came with a loving heart. We care for you. See, that is the fruit of a person who was sent by God. That is the fruit of a, a true apostle, a true sent one he's showing. He's making or he's distinguishing between the false we're coming as a loving person. We didn't come like these other guys. See, the other ones came with violence. Paul came with love. And then as you keep reading, he says in verse 8, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased look, to impart to you not only the gospel, 
of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Do you see the difference? We're not just coming and giving you the gospel. Guess what? We're giving our whole self to you. We're giving our whole lives to you. What's mine is now yours. See, that is quite different from the false apostles and the false teachers. See, they can't produce that type of fruit. Paul shows us that the false teachers, they're only caring about self. They're only caring about them. But Paul has said, no, we're giving our lives to you. I'm giving you this gospel now. What's mine is yours and yours is mine. We are in love. We are a body now. See, this is, this is the fruit. This is the good tree. This is the good fruit from the good tree that Jesus is talking about. He says, you will know a tree by their fruit. This is the, the good fruit of a true person that's really sent by God versus the false apostles and the false teachers. They can't produce this type of fruit. Satan can create all types of things, but he can't produce good fruit. He can produce imitation fruit, but not true, real, that good farmer's market. You bite into it. It's juicy and good, real fruit. So the good tree is going to produce the good fruit. And I love how in Paul in Thessalonians, In 6, he says that we might have asserted our authority, but we didn't. Paul says we could have, because we're apostles sent by God, we could have came to you asserting our authority, but we didn't. What do we call that? We studied this a little while ago. That's called meekness. That's that's called meekness. That's power under control. That's called beatitude number three. Blessed are the meek. That's what Paul is showing. See, the good fruit from the good tree that Jesus says or he teaches about is everything that Jesus just taught in the Sermon on the Mount. That is the good fruit. That is the fruit that we judge and look to see if a person is producing it. So we see Paul here. He is producing the good fruit of meekness. Beatitude number three. See, the, the, the false apostles and the false prophets and the false teachers, they cannot produce a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beatitude number four, the, the false prophet can't produce that. He can't produce that type of fruit. Paul was, was merciful. The false prophet was violent. See, that is the good fruit of Paul. It's, it's everything that Jesus has taught us in the Beatitudes. It's everything that Jesus has taught us in Matthew chapter five. That is the good fruit from the good tree. Jesus taught us to not focus on earthly riches, but to focus on the heavenly treasures. Remember, he taught us to have a good eye, a clear eye, meaning that you're not stingy and you give, you help others. But as Paul has shown us, the false teacher, they can't produce that fruit. They're greedy. They're taking advantage They're they're doing everything opposite of what Jesus has taught us. See, you can't produce this good fruit on yourself. You need the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's showing us. So all of the good fruit that Jesus is teaching is already in Jesus' teaching that he laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. The false prophets, they can't produce good fruit like that. They're focused on the earthly treasures. They're telling you, yeah, go get the earthly treasures. Bring the treasures to me. See, that's the false prophet. That's the bad fruit. The bad tree can't produce the good fruit of the Beatitudes. 
The bad tree can't produce the good fruit of loving my neighbor as myself. The bad tree cannot turn the other cheek. He can't produce that fruit. That is only fruit produced by people who are spirit filled by God. That's it. So Jesus in his teaching in Matthew, I love what our Lord is doing. He, what he's doing with this teaching about warning us about false prophets is he's caring for the church. And, he, and he's putting a hedge around the church through this. And this hedge is made up the good fruits of righteousness. See, our, our Lord is setting a fence that if anybody's saying they have a word from God, they have to climb over this fence of righteousness, of the, of the, the fruits that Jesus has taught us. See, he's, he's caring for his body to allow nobody just to come up in the church. But he's saying, you as believers, I want you guys to be on guard. You have to be fruit inspectors. Jesus is calling all of us in the church to be fruit inspectors. And how do you know what good fruit is? You got to look into the scriptures. The scriptures is our manual to see what good fruit looks like and what bad fruit looks like. And that is my fear that what has happened to our generations and generations, many people never gotten here. They never gotten here and seen what good fruit and bad fruit looks like. So when somebody comes with anything, they just eat it up. But Jesus is saying, no, you beware of the false prophets. Their fruit is going to expose them. See, because Satan is on attack, my brothers and sisters. You got an enemy who's going to attack. He's going to use whatever, anything he can to infiltrate God's kingdom, to destroy his people, to infiltrate God's church, to destroy his people. He's going to send people that look just like you and I. People saying hallelujah all day, shouting. But when they open up their mouth, it's a different teaching. It's a different Jesus. It's a different doctrine. So church... Let's not be duped by any new wind of doctrine, any new teaching that's surfacing on the Internet. But let us be people of the book. Let us be people of the scriptures and not just having a knowledge about what good fruit and bad fruit looks like. But let's have the fruit to back it up. Let's have the receipt in our own life that we actually live out and produce good fruits ourselves. Jesus is warning us. Be on guard, my brothers and sisters. The enemy is not coming with a sign saying false prophet. He's coming and saying friend to get your mind off of a sincerity of heart, a purity of devotion to Christ, to focus on everything else. This is our Lord caring for us, reminding us that people will come with all types of teachings, but you stay on the narrow road. Listen to everything that Jesus has said. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word, your truth, your gospel, your news. God, thank you for caring for us by telling us to be alert. Thank you, God, for showing us what good fruit looks like in your scriptures, God, through the apostles, God, through uh, the teachers in your church, Lord God. Thank you for showing us what it looks like. Oh, Lord God, help us to produce this good fruit as well, God, to not only have your knowledge and share with others, God, but to be a living example, showing the world what good fruit looks like. Oh, God, we thank you for your truth. 
Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.